Good to have you here today. My name is Jim Jeffrey, one of the pastors here at Chapel Point. Are you ready for the Word of God? So we're in a series called Break the Mold, and we're looking at individuals whose lives were just, uh, because they were transformed by Christ, were so distinctive and so different. And one of those people we're going to talk about today is Mary of Bethany. Uh, One of the things that, that I see in Mary of Bethany is she faced the pressures of life differently than those around her. Anybody here facing any pressure in life? Sometimes pressure comes just because of the stress of the schedule, the stress of our to-do list, the stress of, of the pressures of family or finances or job or culture around us. Sometimes it is the, the pressure that comes because of sorrow and because of deep loss in our life. And sometimes the pressure comes from within just our bent towards selfishness. I don't know about you, but I want to tell you being selfish is really easy for me. It's like falling off a log in a slippery stream. It's just real easy. And so the pressure from within to just be self-centered. And Mary faced all three of those. You know, it's interesting, there's seven ladies in the New Testament named Mary, but this one, Mary of Bethany, is actually mentioned three different times, and we're going to look at each of those because the distinctive of her life is that she centered her life at the feet of Jesus. Every time we encounter her, she's at the feet of Jesus, and, and we can see that as a metaphor for how we can face the pressures of life. The name Mary means Mara, which actually means bitter, but Mary was anything from bitter, She was a grace-filled woman because she lived at the feet of Jesus. So let's jump into this in Luke chapter 10, where we'll see Mary and how she broke the mold at the feet of Jesus. So Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. So they, the disciples, went on their way, journeyed to a village, the village we now know as Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him to her house. Martha is the older sister of Mary, And she is showing hospitality along with Mary and brother Lazarus. And she had a sister called Mary, first introduction of this particular Mary of Bethany. And she sat at the Lord's feet and she listened to his teaching. So here we meet her for the first time. Where is she? At the feet of Jesus. What's she doing? She's listening to him teach. But in contrast, Martha was distracted with much serving. And and what that really means is that she was drawn and dragged away and overburdened with the task that she had of showing hospitality. Wasn't wrong for her to serve, not at all. But look what happens next. She comes to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So in one statement, she kind of is a little confrontational with Jesus and she's confrontational about her sister. Lord, don't you care? Don't you give a rip that I'm carrying all this load? And here's Mary just sitting at your feet. One of the things we need to understand in in this culture, the men would have been gathered to be taught by Jesus. Well, the women would have been preparing the meal. That's kind of normal. But Mary, uh, kind of countercultural, says, I want to be at the feet of Jesus. I want to learn wisdom from him. I want to gain wisdom that's going to help me in my life. And so she's doing that because Jesus was the rabbi. Jesus was the teacher. And she comes to the feet of Jesus to learn. You know, it's interesting that um, Jesus' response, he said, Martha, Martha, I don't think this wasn't a scolding voice. I really kind of hear the voice of the shepherd, Jesus, out of just compassion and concern and love for for Martha. Martha, Martha. Look how he describes her. You are anxious, you are stirred up, you're worried, 
and you are troubled about many things. Anybody here identify with that? The things that wake you up at the night and cause you to look at the ceiling? The things that just cause you to churn inside? It could be something relational. It could be something financial. It could be something health-wise. What are those things that do that to you? It could be that, that you have more tasks at the end of the day than you had when you began, and your to-do list just keeps getting bigger. Anybody like that? That was Martha. Jesus looks into her soul, and she said, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. One thing is essential, that you spend time with me that you come to my feet to learn. And Martha, in all of your busyness and all of the pressure and all the stress, you've lost the center of life, which is coming to my feet and spending time with me. Please, please understand, I am not a travel agent for a guilt trip. I, what I'm really saying here is that we need to have a center for our life. We need to have a time when we come to Jesus' feet and learn because that is what will give you the ability to push back the pressure to have the wisdom to know how to live and how to think and how to make decisions. And Jesus said there's one thing needful. And Mary has chosen, she has deliberately made the choice to spend time at my feet. Friends, you don't spend time at Jesus' feet by accident. It has to be intentional. She's chosen that good part and it's not going to be taken away from her. So in other words, Mary criticized, uh, Martha criticized Mary, Jesus complimented Mary. So here's one of the things I learned from Mary's life, if I'm going to break the mold of the pressures of life, I need to set aside time where I can get alone with Jesus, where I can open the Bible and let him speak, where I can read it prayerfully and I can let him just teach me and speak to me. I, I don't know if you really believe this, but I believe that Jesus wants to meet with every one of us every day and wants to teach us from his word, wisdom for life. And if you don't have time for that, friends, then you're busier than God ever intended for you to be. So let me, let's do a little inventory. How are you doing with this? Are you taking time quietly, silently to just pray and then read a portion of his word and let him speak to you? If not, I want to encourage you, your action item this week, spend that time. Do that. Because like Mary, that gives you that center of your life, that gives you that, that place at his feet where you can learn from him and you can have wisdom to face life. Friends, it'll make a difference. If you're today anxious and troubled about many things, it could be that those many things have, have taken away the essential thing of sitting at his feet. And Mary broke the mold. She, put back, she pushed back that pressure. I want you to look with me then in John chapter 11, a second time that we see Mary. And John chapter 11 is um, one of the uh, miracles of Jesus when he raises Lazarus from the dead. That's the story. And in chapter 11, beginning of verse 1, Jesus is um, in Galilee. And Lazarus of Bethany, who is the, uh, Mary and Martha's brother, is, is there in Bethany. And Mary is the one who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. That actually happens in chapter 12. And Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was ill. And the brothers sent to him, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, the one that you love is ill. Three times in this passage, we're told that Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He, he, they had a friendship relationship. Jesus often uh, was showed hospitality 
Bethany is just two miles east of Jerusalem. So when Jesus came to Judah, when he came to, um, when he came to Jerusalem, he would stay with them, enjoy their hospitality. And they send a messenger, Lord, the one you love is ill. And Jesus then makes this statement. He said, this illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God. So the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Lazarus is going to die, so Jesus' statement here does not mean he's not going to die. He's saying it's not ultimately going to be about his death. He's going to be raised from the dead, and it's going to be ultimately for the glory of God. Later, Jesus says to his disciples, he said, this is, I'm glad that I didn't arrive in time for him not to die so that you would believe. So there's two purposes in this miracle given in John 11, that God would be glorified and you would believe. And every miracle in the gospel of John is for those two purposes, for the glory of God and that people would believe in Jesus. So Jesus then stays, he's, again in verse five, he loved Martha and Lazarus and Mary. And when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stays two days longer. Now, that's an important detail. Jesus doesn't immediately go. Listen, when you call 911, you expect them to come, right? They're calling 911 and Jesus doesn't come. Two days before he leaves. And then he has this conversation with his disciples telling them that Lazarus has already died. And that he's now going to go. We fast forward in the story. In verse 17, Jesus came and he finds that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany, near Jerusalem, two miles off. And the Jews had come to mourn with Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. When Martha hears that Jesus has come, she goes out to meet him. So Martha comes first and she makes this statement in verse 21. Lord, if you'd been here. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Are you hearing the disappointment in her voice? Are you sensing the confusion in her heart? Lord, if you had been here, if you hadn't waited two days, my brother wouldn't have died. But yet in verse 22, she expresses faith. She says, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus says, your brother's going to rise again. And Martha responds saying, are you, are you talking about the resurrection in the last day? And Jesus makes this incredible statement in verse 25, one of the seven I am statements, I am being the God of the burning bush. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's a powerful statement by Jesus about his identity as the one who is the resurrection. Not only that he would rise, but that he would bring resurrection and hope beyond the grave. And she confesses her faith that she believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then she goes and she finds Mary in verse 28. And Mary goes out from Bethany and she comes. And in verse 32, Mary comes to where Jesus was and she saw him. And please note in verse 32, she fell at his feet. Second time we encounter Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. Only this time she's coming, not as a learner for wisdom, but in sorrow to find comfort. In sorrow to find comfort. Look at what she says. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping and he saw the other Jews weeping. And, and I want you to understand this. Look at what Mary said 
and understand what Mary felt. What Mary says is, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. There is that disappointment. There is that confusion. Friends, you will have at times when you go through suffering and when you go through sorrow, there'll be times when you'll have questions that you can't answer. And you'll have times when you may feel disappointed with God. You don't understand why this person was healed and this person wasn't. Mary felt disappointment. She felt confusion. She felt sorrow. And she wept. Even though it had been four days, she's just crying because you don't get over grief in an instant. It takes a long season. When the plan was laid for preaching on these break-the-mold messages months ago, I agreed to preach on Mary of Bethany. You can't preach Mary of Bethany without preaching John 11, but I didn't know the pathway our family would go through between that assignment and what we've been through. You see, um, on July 2nd, my wife's dad died. 97 years old, pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer, and heart difficulties. And so we went back and cared for all of his physical and, and financial and legal issues with Bert's brother and, and um, did the funeral on the 9th of July, which was actually his anniversary. His wife had died in October. And so we walked through that grief and we walked through that sorrow. And then we got in the car on Sunday morning from Binghamton, New York, and drove back to West Michigan so that we could be with our daughter-in-law, Elizabeth, and our son, Dan, and their four children, Will, Michael, Kate, and Jimmy. And um, Elizabeth had been struggling with pancreatic cancer since October. The struggle physically, she's a very strong, courageous woman, and she faced this with courage and with faith. But over time, it just takes its toll. So we got back on Sunday night about 4.15 and went there, and the family was gathered. Our, our daughters were there, and, and the extended family was there. We just had a time of prayer and crying and entering into that. And the next morning, Monday morning, she went home to heaven at 1.30 in the morning. So I just want you to know that this matter of sorrow and grief and death to me is extremely personal right now. And some of you have been through that. Some of you are facing that right now where you're faced it with somebody that you love deeply. And we love Elizabeth. And we love Daniel. We love Will, Michael. We love Kate and we love Jimmy. But I want you to know something. When Elizabeth died and took her last breath on earth, she took her first breath in heaven. Because the Bible says this, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And we have hope, the hope of heaven. We have hope in the resurrection. We have hope that there is gonna be a glorified body that will know no cancer and no death and no sorrow and no suffering. We have hope 
that there is going to be a rapture when Christ is going to come back for his church and we're going to have a reunion and we will see her again. We have hope that there's going to be a future kingdom and we have hope that there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. And we reach that hope and we bring it into our soul now because I don't know how people deal with this without Christ. And as our youngest grandson, Jimmy, said so eloquently in a song he wrote to his mother, and three times in each of the verses he said, I'll see you again. I'll see you again. I'll see you again. And he will. Friends, I want you to notice that when you and I struggle with this, Jesus enters into it. Would you please look really carefully at what happens next? Jesus saw her weeping in verse 33. Jesus, in verse, um, verse 33, it says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And verse 35 says, Jesus wept. Would you please just for a moment pause and let this sink in? Jesus, knowing that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus was deeply troubled. The word has, in the essence of that word, the idea of anger. Jesus was angered, not at the people grieving or Mary and Martha. He was angered at death. Do you know that death makes Jesus angry? Matter of fact, the New Living Translation, I think, says it so incredibly well. That a deep anger welled up within him. Jesus experienced that. Why? Because Jesus hates what death does to relationships. And he died on the cross to deal with death. And he rose from the, from the dead to be able to bring deliverance from death. And Jesus was stirred in his spirit. And Jesus wept. What does that mean to us? It means that right now as we're walking through this, and as some of you are walking through those kind of experiences, Jesus is the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus enters into our suffering Knowing full well who he is and what he's going to do, he cares so deeply that he actually weeps and grieves with us. That's a God I can trust. That's a Savior I can lean on. That's someone I can come to in prayer knowing that he invites me to come to a throne of grace. I can pray through my sorrows. I can pray through the grief. Because friends... What happened with Mary and Martha is Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus comes to the tomb. He says, roll away the stone. And he shouts out with authority of the creator himself, God himself, and says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus is raised from the dead after being dead four days and stands up and walks to the entrance of the tomb, all wrapped in the grave clothes. And Jesus said, let him go. I want to tell you there was a celebration in Bethany. There was a celebration in the house of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. There's a celebration. But friends, it, it pales by comparison to the celebration we're going to have in heaven. The celebration when we see those that have died in Christ. The celebration when we get to be with Elizabeth again. The celebration that's coming, friends. It's going to be even better than that celebration. And I reach forward to that hope and I bring it into today and say, I can trust him. I can trust him. I can put my hope in him. So what's the action step, my friends? Bring your sorrows to the feet of Jesus. Bring your sorrows to the feet of Jesus in prayer. When you bring your sorrows to the feet of Jesus in prayer, 
you will find comfort that you'll find nowhere else. Tell him how you feel. The psalmist did that. The psalmist prayed his emotions. Tell him how you feel. Tell him what you're struggling with and enter into that because he cares. He is the resurrection and the life that gives you hope. He's the man of sorrows that gives you a friend you can turn to and share your heart and share your needs. Bring it to the feet of Jesus. Chapter 12, we see Mary again. Verse 1 Six days before the Passover when Jesus is going to die and be the ultimate expression of love to us. Jesus comes to Bethany where Lazarus was that he had raised from the dead and they're having a banquet. Verse 2, Martha again is serving. Lazarus is one of those reclining at table. They're probably celebrating his resurrection. By the way, in between this, the, the priest and the leaders, the Sanhedrin, are plotting for the death of Jesus and plotting also for the death of Lazarus because they can't explain away this resurrection. And so Mary, in verse 3, takes a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anoints the feet of Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And John gives his commentary. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he had a charge in the money bag that he used to help himself what was put into it. And Jesus responds to Judas's confrontation and says, leave her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you will not always have me. Let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Mary, again, a third time, is at the feet of Jesus. She was at the feet of Jesus to learn wisdom for life. She was at the feet of Jesus to find comfort in her sorrow. And she's at the feet of Jesus now to be able to show love by sacrifice. She takes probably her most, her most precious possession, this, uh, this jar, a, a flask made out of alabaster, filled with a pound of, of rare perfume made from nard, from a, a plant that grows in Nepal and northern India. So it was an import from a long ways away. And it was worth, according to the words of Judas, a 300 denarii, which would be a year's wages. So you just think about what you make in a year, that's what that was worth. Expensive. And she breaks it open and she pours it out at his feet. Matthew and, and Mark also tell the story, and in their rendition of this, though they don't name Mary, the story is told that she also anoints his head. And then she lets down her hair, and she wipes his feet with her hair. Like Jesus washing the disciples' feet, this is an expression of deep humility and servanthood. She takes her most expensive possession, she breaks it open and she pours it out. She wipes his feet with her hair and then has to listen to Judas's criticism. There's no greater contrast, friends, than between Judas and Mary at this moment. Judas was robbing the account. Mary was making sacrifice out of love for Jesus. There couldn't be any greater contrast between those two individuals in this narrative. Jesus' statement about the poor, by the way, is not saying, I don't care about the poor. That's not at all what he's saying. What he's saying is there is a matter of timing and opportunity here that's not going to come again. She's anointing me for 
burial. By the way, later in chapter 19, Nicodemus is going to come and wrap the body of Jesus, and he's going to put some spices in there. But when the women come on Easter morning to be able to, to, be able to anoint the body of Jesus, it's too late. Jesus is risen. So Mary had insight into the opportunity that she had, and she says, I'm going to show my radical, extravagant love for Jesus because he is going to show extravagant love for me on the cross. And she does that. Jesus said that the great commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Love is sacrifice. Can you say that with me? Love is sacrifice. Friends, if you're married, you show love by sacrifice. If you're in a family, you show love by sacrifice. Love is shown by sacrifice. The greatest expression of love in the world and in history is Jesus dying on the cross, and he demonstrated it by sacrifice. And we show love to him by sacrifice. So here's an action step. Can you discover ways daily to show your love to Jesus and others by saying, I'm going to make this sacrifice? I'm do that. I'm going to sacrifice time. I'm going to sacrifice by serving instead of being served. I'm going to sacrifice by reaching out to others that need Jesus. I'm going to sacrifice by being willing to go and, and serve on a mission field and take my vacation to do that rather than just using it selfishly. I'm going to sacrifice money to be able to invest in what's eternal. What are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? To say that we love him and not be willing to show sacrifice, what Mary does here is such an incredible expression of sacrifice. She takes what's most precious to her and she pours it out at the feet of Jesus. Now, catch this. And the house was filled with the aroma. How does your house smell? Is your home filled with the aroma of sacrificial love for Jesus? I mean, all of a sudden, this, this beautiful smell is just filling the entire house. It's an expression of the love that she had for Christ. The sacrifice she was willing to make. Is your home, is your life filled with that aroma? Do you know that biblically our lives give off a certain aroma? It's either of selfishness or it's a sacrifice, which is true of you. What are you willing to sacrifice to show love for Christ now? Not what did you do in the past, but what are you willing to do to show love for Christ and sacrifice now? So who's ready to break the mold at the feet of Jesus this morning? You ready to do that? Then commit to spending time with him, to learn from him. Then join with me and my family as we bring our sorrows and troubles to him in prayer. And show your love for Jesus by sacrifice for him. Stephen Curtis Chapman, many of you know, was a great musician, Christian artist, songwriter, went through a horrible time with his family when their little daughter was accidentally run over as a, their son was backing the car out, and she died. He wrote, he wrote this song. Listen to these words. I'm not going to sing it for you. 
At the feet of Jesus, I will lay my burdens down. I will lay my heavy burdens down. In the stillness, I can hear my Savior calling out, come to me and lay your burdens down. So I'll lay down my struggles. I will lay down my shame. All the fear I drag around through this life like a ball in a chain. All my questions and confusion. I will sing hallelujah to the one who sets me free and you will find me at the feet of Jesus. In the arms of Jesus, I will find my peace and rest. I hear him calling, come to me and rest. Carried by my shepherd, cradled tight to his chest, there and there alone my soul finds rest. So I'll rest in the shelter of my Savior's embrace, hidden safely in the refuge of his mercy and his grace. I will sing hallelujah to the one who sets me free. You will find me in the arms of Jesus. At the feet of my Savior, at the feet of my King, I will bow down in worship. I will lift my voice and sing hallelujah, hallelujah to the one who sets me free. You will find me at the feet of Jesus. Will we find you at the feet of Jesus to learn, to find comfort, and to offer him a sacrifice of love? Let's pray together. God, thank you for the example of Mary. In these three scenes of her life, the center of life for her was at the feet of Jesus. So may we come to learn wisdom to be able to face the pressures of life. May we come to experience comfort for our sorrows. May we come to be able to offer a sacrifice of love to the one who loved us so much that he died in our place. Lord, may we be found at the feet of Jesus in whose name we pray.